am Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. We're joined today by VP and Principal Analyst, Joanna Quintanilla, to discuss virtual journey mapping and the importance of orchestrating journeys in real time. Welcome, Joanna. Great to be here. So, Joanna, clearly COVID-19 has changed many things for businesses and consumers alike. and journey mapping is in that mix. So maybe you can just start with obviously the importance of journey mapping and how firms today are tackling doing this virtually. So we see that, of course, um, customers and employees as a result of COVID-19 are stuck at home and they are engaging more digitally, but they're also trying to understand how they can still engage physically with with brands or a combination of those two. And um, a lot of that uh, requires a journey way of thinking, meaning we have to think about um, individual channels, but also about how customers customers are interacting across those channels. And so what we found is journey mapping isn't something that you should put on hold until recovery. Um, In these unusual times, in fact, it's more important than ever that you map and validate the journeys with real customer insights so you can understand how those journeys are changing. You can understand how online activities are changing, how your customers are interacting with you differently, but also design journeys that are emotionally attuned and are not tone deaf um, by using journey mapping to understand how customers are crossing those channels, how they're trying to learn new behaviors. Um, and it's, you know, it's sort of getting away from um, this idea that, you know, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so, um, you know, we need to put some content about COVID on your your website and then you know not think about what that means for the call center and for agent scripts and for training materials uh, for uh, frequently asked questions on your website um, for social media so using journey mapping helps us to think in a way that is much more akin to how our customers are trying to interact with us as brands and it's more important than ever we see now in times of crisis it feels like the kinds of customer journeys you just described are literally changing every day. And then, of course, regionally, they're different. Were journey maps usually meant to be so dynamic and ever-changing, or did companies usually put one aside and use it as a roadmap? Because I feel like that would be completely blown up right now. Yes, absolutely. So there there are different types of journey maps, right? Some journey maps are high level and they can be used more as a, if you like, a, a blueprint or indeed a roadmap. But the kinds of journey maps that we're talking about now um, and are extremely dynamic. And in fact, journey mapping was always meant to be dynamic. Of course, we create artifacts often that are static or look static, but actually the market's been moving much more towards a much more dynamic use of journeys and journey maps so we can see what's happening in real time even. So that transition already started happening before um, the crisis, but certainly now that we're seeing these behaviors change so rapidly, it's incredibly important to take that very dynamic approach to understanding journeys and to get cross-functional teams of people together to talk through what these changes mean for our organizations. And to kind of dig into something, Carrie, 
mentioned within her question, clearly each market or country or region is sort of at different points in the pandemic, right? There are different sort of phases, we may slip back. So how are firms addressing this added layer of dynamism, let's call it, as it relates to their, their customers' journeys? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've of course seen some um, major changes in consumer behavior and indeed, indeed um, proximity buying. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, different rules and different phases that um, that we're in and different different geographies, different locations. I'm based in the Netherlands and we're in a very different phase than other countries. Um, so I think that, um, you know, journey mapping um, needs to also be uh, applied at the local level to understand understand what is what are these differences how do we apply them in different markets that are in different phases um, but it's also um, incredibly important to use data about those journeys in order to baseline what those what the, what the new baseline is in fact for those journeys at different phases of the pandemic and so that we can then also use the data and changes in behavior to tell us when things might be changing, might be shifting, we might be entering a new phase. Um, but it's also, for instance, um, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen um, retailers, for instance, using uh, journey mapping, but also uh, real-time uh, journey orchestration to um, deliver, to communicate with their customers in a way that is much more localized so that they can, for instance, let them know um, that they can still order their, their groceries online, for instance, but also send them very tailored personalized messages about the wait time to pick up those groceries in the specific uh, location that they're in. So we're moving towards a much more personalized uh, and tailored way of also communicating with customers, which again requires us to take that more local uh, view. When you started talking about the role of digital there, I couldn't help but think about the role of digital overall in customers' journeys, of course, and also in their loyalty or as we know, call our customer experience index. Digital has kind of been a great um, equalizer in a way. It sort of doesn't make or break a customer's loyalty, essentially, as far as we can tell, right? In a lot of our data by industry. But I feel like maybe if we were to run the customer experience in this very moment, we might see something different. Do you agree? I think so. I think I think one of the things, one of the interesting things that we're seeing, of course, is you know, digital, of course, um, is incredibly important, to, you know, in, in in a lot of customer journeys, right? And we've been trying to understand how can digital play a bigger role in those journeys, but also how can we do a better job of connecting digital with 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 other channels, in some cases, physical channels as well. But I think what we're seeing now, of course, is that customers are, in many ways. Um, forced, of course, to interact more with digital channels. And you have this strange situation in which um, the the tolerance actually to keep trying um, to actually do things in digital channels is increasing because, of course, people have less choice in, in many cases to actually, you know, perform those same tasks in other, in other channels. So we're seeing that there's a huge opportunity to embed uh, behaviors um, in digital channels that some companies have frankly struggled to embed in the past. But of course, we shouldn't lose track of how those digital interactions connect with other channels, but we are seeing this shift um, towards um, really embedding some of these, an opportunity as well to embed some of these digital behaviors as customers start to interact in different ways with brands. 
how do firms do this now? Because, you know, journey mapping used to be such a great in-person workshop experience, sticky notes, and literally mapping out the, the journey. So what's the recommendation? Because to your point, you have to do it now. There's just too many factors or dynamics in, in play for you to kind of hold still and um, you know wait until the pandemic is over. So what's the guidance here? Yeah, that's a great question, and in fact, the question that we're hearing from uh, a lot of our a lot of our clients, a lot of uh, different companies. Um, so, virtual journey mapping is, of course, very different to um, in-person, face-to-face in a workshop with twenty participants. It's a it's a very very different experience, and I think part of what we need um, to do is to to realize and accept that that is a different experience, and so that means also. Um, thinking about mapping uh, journeys virtually with employees that are working remotely, collaborating remotely in a very different way. So breaking down um, that journey mapping workshop, if you like, into um, pre, during, and post-workshop activities and uh, minimizing, compressing, if you like, the time that we're actually spending virtually in real time together um, to map those journeys. So we need to get better at preparing beforehand. What do we need to know? How can we get everyone aligned around which journeys we're going to map, why we've prioritized certain journeys? These are all things that you can do beforehand. Then spending uh, time, of course, with a cross-functional group of of people um, and preferably with a smaller group of people initially in real time to really focus on mapping the journey, prioritizing moments of truth in the journey. So interactive exercises where, again, you have to think very differently differently about um, the energy and how you keep the energy going in a virtual session like that. There are just different rules that govern virtual journey mapping sessions. But in our experience, and we've done this with clients and we've heard about um, others doing it as well, it can be a really valuable and in fact also enjoyable experience. And in some ways there are advantages because you compress the amount of time that it takes to run a workshop like this, um, at least the time that you're spending uh, together virtually. And uh, if you're using things like a digital whiteboard and you're building the journey map um, during that virtual session, you at the end of that uh, session also have a dynamic journey map, which we were talking about before on a digital whiteboard that you can keep on augmenting um, and and bringing in other people to augment it over time as well. So there are some uh, clear advantages to doing uh, virtual journey mapping as well. Do you think this accelerates journey mapping? It's kind of interesting what you're describing forces people to do their homework a little bit more versus show up and, you know, be there for the ride. What have you heard from companies that you've talked to that are doing this? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it does um, in many ways uh, accelerate. In fact, I've heard from clients that, um, you know, before the crisis, they were sometimes struggling to get people together and to make the time to uh, do journey mapping. And now the crisis has one highlighted the importance of mapping these journeys, but it's also raised the importance of doing that and the urgency with which people need to do it. And actually doing it in a virtual setting um, 
um, helps to um, uh, remind people that this is a dynamic exercise, that a journey map is a living document, that it's something that we use as a problem solving tool, as a change management tool. And that's something that companies have had difficulty really um, getting across in the past when they were doing these um, larger scale face-to-face -face workshops or, you know, as you say, people came along for the ride and it was a pleasant experience, but they kind of walked away um, not really capturing that message that it's it's a dynamic um, it's a dynamic process and that it should be really sort of used um, in that way. So I think we're seeing um, that and we're hearing from clients that they are using it more dynamically. They're doing more of that preparation too. They're looking at what existing data do we have. They're sometimes doing more prep to build a hypothesis initially so that they can really use that time uh, that they're spending um, together uh, in the virtual session much more um, effectively. And they're coming back to their maps and they're really using them in the way that they should have always been used in that dynamic way and not as an artist the fact that you stuff in a drawer and that you never look at again. So I, I do think there are some big opportunities here. Are you also finding that there's uh, a lot more collaboration or cross-functional collaboration? I'm thinking about as firms are building their pandemic recovery plans, that these journey maps are feeding some of those plans or a component of that planning process. So as you know, different things like stores open and different journeys can take place, that that's kind of part of the larger package of recovery planning. Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing that happening sort of in, in different ways. So for instance, we've seen companies um, use, um, look at their journeys, at their their catalog of journeys, right? So we call that their their journey atlas. So all of the journeys that, com that customers interact with them on. Um, and then thinking about, um, in a more strategic way, thinking about, okay, of these journeys that are important to our customers when they interact with us, which ones do we need to pause for now because they are um, either non-essential or because they have an important um, physical component that at the moment is just not feasible for um, in terms of social distancing, for instance. Which journeys do we need to accelerate? Because that's the way customers are interacting with us at the moment. So those are the digital journeys that are becoming, of course, incredibly important. Um, and which journeys um, do we need to launch? New journeys that are helping with things with issues like affordability, health and safety as we open up physical spaces again, et cetera. So I think um, thinking about this in, the in a strategic way, which journeys do we pause? Which ones do we accelerate? Which ones do we launch? And then using journey mapping with the cross-functional team, as you mentioned, bringing in people that work in you know, operations, technology, insights, um, in physical spaces, bringing that group we're, we're hearing from clients, they're bringing that cross-functional team of people together um, multiple times a day, um, you know, early in the day, at the end of the day, in some cases, to talk through those journeys, but think very strategically about as we move through these phases, how does it change the journeys that we maybe pause and need to restart? How does it help us to accelerate certain journeys, but also look at embedding certain behaviors? And which journeys do we launch, um, like an affordability journey that many financial services companies, utilities companies have launched? And how do we make sure we keep reassessing that so that we um, so that we can we can keep on um, helping our customers in the best way possible? How about employee journeys, which have so dramatically changed in, as well? 
Are you also working with clients on that? And what are we hearing as it relates to that? Yes, absolutely. That's a fantastic question. And in fact, the first virtual journey mapping um, session that I did for uh, one of our clients was an employee journey map. Um, and in that particular case, we were looking at um, the, we were mapping the journey for employees who were um, suddenly faced with having to uh, work remotely. And it was a, a journey being mapped by um, the technology team, um, but also bringing in other people from operations um, and really looking at how can we do a better job to make sure that our employees have the right tools, they have the right access so that they can do their job as effectively as possible. So hugely important from an employee um, uh, journey perspective as well. And we absolutely do see companies are doing that. In fact, we see a lot of companies using journey maps um, to map not only the customer journey, but then to map the supporting employee journeys as well as partner journeys, even in some cases. I spoke to one financial services company that um, was uh, mapping the, the journeys for their um, insurance uh, agents that are out there talking uh, to uh, customers, um, trying to sell to customers, new customers in many cases. Um, and they are uh, working from home. They're they're used to going out there and meeting face to face with their with their customers. Now they're having to run virtual sessions with them, and so um, they are uh, mapping those journeys to make sure they can enable those insurance um, agents to have those conversations productively, but also then use technology and use digital channels to nurture that um, initial sale and to follow up with um, customers, but also to follow up with the agents themselves to make sure that they are contacting the customer uh, within the right sort of window to 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 react and to um, to provide the best uh, the best experience for the customer. So hugely important for employee journeys as well. So at the beginning of this conversation, we, we talked about real time orchestration. So if you're we're doing mm -hmm. these virtual journey mapping sessions, we have this living document. What's required to orchestrate journeys in real time. You mentioned obviously using data, but I imagine that is different in this environment than it was previously. But are there new requirements for companies that or for firms that they should be considering, um, you know, in this new environment? Yeah, so um, journey orchestration is um, it's, so it's extremely relevant, obviously, in the times that we find ourselves uh, in now. Um, and um, it is something that, you know, companies need to, it's a capability that companies need to invest in. And you can start orchestrating journeys um, in a more manual way. So by mapping your journeys, layering data onto your journey maps, starting to bring together those cross-functional groups, um, teams of, of employees, and start to do a better job using data to help you to orchestrate those journeys. But of course, we've seen over the past couple of years, a number of um, vendors emerge um, that are focused on journey orchestration. So there are technologies out there that help companies to orchestrate journeys. And those are technologies that help you to stitch together data across different channels so that you can visualize that journey based on that customer data, often at the individual customer level. And you can can start to really orchestrate those journeys in real time. 
what we've seen um, from companies that have invested in these journey orchestration tools or that have homegrown tools that help them to orchestrate journeys or even the ones that are starting to do it manually is that of course what's changing now is the the channels they're focusing on so a lot more activity around digital channels of course but also connecting digital channels to the call center um, and to um, you know chatbots and to to the the channels that that customers are having to use more now huge volumes of course around some of these uh, around some of these journeys so very sudden increases in volume of course that um, are helping that that they're helping their 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 customers to deal with but also just the rate at which um, behavior is changing and so these journey orchestration tools are helping a lot of their clients to really understand in real time how these behaviors are changing very rapidly with volumes um, increasing sometimes in some cases, of course, is volumes dropping as well because um, it's um, because customers can't interact in a physical space. We've seen, for instance, um, you know, sports brands and um, you know, football teams, etc., that are suddenly there are no matches. Customers aren't going to the stadiums to watch them, and so they're shifting some of that um, fan base, if you like, to other channels, new channels they've never interacted with them on. So, journey orchestration is being used in. Uh, in a, in a different way as a result of some of those dynamics. I'm trying to picture these virtual journey mapping sessions digitally versus the whiteboard and sticky notes. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just wondering how far the technology has come yeah. right outside of your traditional sort of WebEx call that you can actually kind of move things around dynamically and do them. And what does that even look like? Yeah, we have come a long way um, uh, in that perspective. And some of these tools, they've been used for a while by design teams that are collaborating remotely. But we've seen also in that space a huge surge in um, tools, for instance, journey mapping software, um, many of which have digital whiteboards that are um, part, of course, of that, that journey mapping platform. And so imagine, you know, these tools are they help to translate the, the sort of post-it on the wall or sticky note on the wall um, to a digital world. Um, and they, um, you know, they help you to um, use templates, for instance, and images and icons so that you can build your whiteboard and you can move things around. You can see where participants are on that whiteboard. You can summon people to make sure that everyone's in the same place on that whiteboard. And so we're seeing that there are more tools out there that enable some of these, um, this digital whiteboard um, collaboration, if you like, that makes journey mapping in a virtual environment much easier, of course. But also there's a lot of new features um, that are being added to these tools, features like summoning people to the same place in the digital whiteboard or voting features or a timer that helps you to actually time box the interactive exercises that you're running um, during these virtual sessions, um, features that help you to um, uh, with wayfinding and visual engagement. So it could be video co-browsing, screen sharing, screen annotations, you know, being able to highlight and circle contents, um, but also 
also, again, here, the, the digital whiteboards and the tools out there, other journey mapping tools, we've got, um, you know, many of them that enable, um, that enable this type of virtual collaboration and help you to, you know, build journey maps with different swim lanes. And you can, again, move things around in a, in a, in a virtual environment and people can, uh, can do that together and they can comment on what you're doing as well. So there are definitely technologies out there that help. But again, it takes um, some thinking beforehand, right? So the technology is there, there's definitely new features and those are very helpful, but you also have to really think about how um, you use those digital whiteboards. Again, the pre-work is extremely important. How do you set up that whiteboard beforehand so that you have clear areas, for instance, on that whiteboard for different exercises. Um, you know, I've seen companies even build, um, you know, templates into those um, into those digital whiteboards that um, participants can fill out. Um, you know, you might want to do individual exercises, brain writing exercises, for instance, or mapping exercises. So the tools are helpful, but the thinking that you put into it to build the right digital whiteboards to really make your virtual session as effective as possible is um, as important as the tool that you choose to use. So clearly you just kind of described like the technology and the tools that are enabling this and you mentioned prep work involved, but what about the facilitation or the, the skills required there because that is critical to come out of a, a virtual workshop with something that's you know dynamic and usable, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think the the facilitation is absolutely key, and we've seen some um, some differences when it comes to to virtual journey mapping and the facilitation of those. Um, some of the things that that are important is, again, we need to think differently about the structure, the format, and the flow of the session. Um, you know, keeping it simple, focusing on interactive exercises, um, you know, planning for, I would say, a maximum of four hours together in real time. You know, as I mentioned before, setting up the digital whiteboard logically, taking participants through the setup of the board and the exercises and their purpose, right? So you have to do a lot more wayfinding and explaining and making sure that people you keep on reminding people of where they're at and what you what you want to achieve as a group. Um, another thing that's incredibly important is as well to keep the energy high and actually use multiple facilitators to kind of increase the tempo. So we've seen that even with small groups, when you're doing virtual journey mapping sessions with small groups of six people, seven people, eight people, that actually having two facilitators co-facilitating is extremely um, helpful. Um, so keeping the energy up is, is it's just different in a virtual journey mapping workshop. You need to enlist others as co-facilitators or discussion leads or scribes and decide that beforehand. Um, and also there's a lot more, um, which you have in a face-to-face -face workshop as well, but in a virtual um, setting, it's harder to sort of read the room, right? And to know whether people are engaged. So you have to check in with people, but also go with the flow a little bit and be flexible. Sometimes you need to speed up. Sometimes you need to slow down. Um, you know, sometimes you need to be more directive and call participants to build specific parts of the journey map, for instance. Or if you feel that the energy is dwindling, then you need to step in and maybe yourself build the main journey narrative 
initiative, um, call on participants to provide input. Um, and if you're running out of time, for instance, which happened when we were doing a journey mapping, um, a virtual journey mapping session, then you know you have to be prepared to fill in the gaps in the journey map, for instance, while participants are on a break, because it's incredibly important that you do give people breaks, you know, every hour, at least a five minute break, but also after two hours, give you know, participants a longer break. But for the facilitators, you know, you might have to, of course, carry on and just keep, you know, be prepared to fill in the gaps so that you get through the exercises and get the most out of that time that you're spending um, together. So more facilitators in many cases, you know, that can step in, can work together, can energize things and really thinking carefully about things like breakout groups, right? That is um, creative, you know, an even more complex dynamic, of course. So, you know, give thought to dividing workshop participants into teams beforehand, um, you know, or maybe consider doing more individual work followed by share outs, for instance. So managing breakout groups and very large groups also, again, requires a lot of thought to be put into that in terms of facilitation and keeping the energy going. So, Joanna, as firms sort of adjust to remote work and conducting these sorts of workshops virtually, you know, where should they start? What is your your guidance here on on where to where to start, and then what to consider as a next step? Yeah, so I would, um, I mean, I would recommend um, starting in, um, you know, one of two places, or, or maybe both. Um, employee journeys definitely a very good place to start um, because, you know, you have, of course, um, your employees there. Um, you have people who are going to hopefully contribute um, input in a very honest way, and of course, you're you're trying to enable employees to work in the most effective way as po uh, as possible. So starting by maybe trying virtual journey mapping um, by focusing on some key employee journeys is a good way to test the best way to do this, right? So I would recommend that might be a way to, to get started. The other thing that I would recommend is, um, you know, as you go um, through the different phases of, of, of the crisis, uh, is to really think carefully about um, the journeys that really are accelerating at the moment um, and make sure that you are bringing together, I would, I would bring together a core group of people that can focus on those accelerated, you know, in many cases, probably digital journeys and to really start to use virtual journey mapping to map out what are the key components of those journeys. How can we, for instance, um, make sure that as customers go through those digital journeys um, and they're trying to do new things and they're maybe calling a call center agent with specific questions about how to complete tasks online, right? Which is a really frequent thing that is happening at the moment. How can we get together people from operations, from call, from uh, the call center, um, from customer experience, from other departments, so that we can really troubleshoot those key journeys that are accelerating where we can really make a difference and do that with a smaller group group initially so that you get used to the actual mapping of journeys virtually, but you can really sort of focus on those journeys that matter most at the moment. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.